This episode of Dialogues with Creators is a first, a second, and a third. It's a third because this is the third person who is creative in music primarily, and that's why we are interviewing them. It's a second, and then it's second person who lives in North Carolina. Although one of our early interviewees moved to North Carolina soon after our podcast. It's a first because it's the first time it's a person in my family. Today's guest is Aaron Mortera of Greensboro, North Carolina. Aaron is the brother of my daughter-in-law, and he has a fascinating story about how he started a music school and used his creativity and passion for educating young people. Stay tuned. Today's guest is Aaron Mortera of Greensboro, North Carolina. He's Like I said, the second person we have interviewed from North Carolina, most of our folks on the podcast live in the Chattanooga or North Georgia area, with a few exceptions. I'd like to start with your personal story, Aaron. How did you end up in Greensboro? Yes. Well, thank you for having me today, Barbara. Don't know if I chose Greensboro or if Greensboro chose me. But I think it's the latter. Greensboro is a mid-sized city, not too big or too small. Uh, but I think it's just the right size city of Greensboro. It's named after uh, a major revolutionary general, Nathaniel Green. Greensboro is at the heart of North Carolina. Three major interstates uh, come convening in it. Greensboro is also known as the Gate City. For some reason, uh, we are three hours away from the beautiful mountains of Western Carolina and a three hour drive from the beaches of North Carolina. So we're just in the heart of the state. Greensboro has historical significance, especially in the civil rights movement time with the Greensboro sittings that happen here in this in this city. Uh, but back to your question as to how I, how I ended up in Greensboro. I am a first generation migrant. Uh, my parents migrated from Mexico to the United States in the mid to late 1990s. I was five years old when I arrived here in America. And for some reason, my parents decided to settle in Greensboro. And ever since then, I've been taking full advantage of the opportunity that this state and this city has to offer. And I've taken as much as I could. Okay. So that's, uh, that's a story I'd like to ask a few questions about. Yeah. When um, I visited your family last uh, Christmas and I'll be going there in a couple of uh, weeks. Greensboro was much bigger than I thought it was. It was huge. (laughs) I said, wow, this is a big place. And I just had never given it much thought. And now I have reason to. Yeah. What was it like as a five-year-old boy to come to the United States? United States. Um, Bro, come to to anywhere. (laughs) Um, It was challenging not knowing the language. Not knowing the language was Something child. I do remember that going to school at the beginning and not understanding what was being said in the classroom. But 
just like any kid, you can quickly catch up to things. So I do remember that challenge of the language barrier at the beginning. It was much different than the town that I grew up in back in Mexico. I do remember the streets that were paved, a lot of cars. I do remember there being so many cars having to drive everywhere was something new that we didn't do back in the hometown that I grew up in. We used to walk, but driving everywhere and everywhere we had to drive to seems so far. Like we had to leave the town to go to the store to buy some groceries. Everything mm-hmm. appeared to be far. Yes, growing up in Greensboro, I do remember that the language being different, the people looking different. And then I guess the, the customs and festivities were a bit different as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you, uh, other than the driving, what, what is a memory you have that really sticks out of something like, whoa, <laughs> as a, is a little little boy. Oh, um, to be uh, honest, I guess would be the first time I went to Walmart. Not <laughs> <laughs> being like the Walmart. This seems so big. Um, the roof seems so high. I do remember my cousin taking us to the Walmart for the first time, and I just being uh, amazed at how such a big store it was. And to this day, we still consider that Walmart that we went to uh, the main Walmart in our town because that's the first one we went to, even though Greensboro has grown since the late 1990s. And now we have multiple Walmarts here in, in this town. But you only have one Cracker Barrel. <laughs> <laughs> yes. What's that about? Because <laughs> so, we have so many of them here. It's like an it, it seems like. We have a lot of Waffle Houses over here. Yes. Yeah. Um Waffle houses are funny. The I understand your feeling about Walmart. Every time I go in there, I'm overwhelmed as well. <laughs> and I go in there more than I ought to. Yeah. Um, you are the youngest of four, right? Yes, I am the youngest of four. So you're, um, my daughter-in-law is the second and Cecia is first. And then there's a, um, it's about three years, four years between uh, Marari and um, Alfredo. Yes, I think so. Okay, and then uh, how many difference between you and Alfredo? I think it's three years. Three years. Okay. So, all right. So yeah. So I think Marari was ten or eleven when they when you all came here. Yes. And uh, we'll just throw this in here. We're very excited because. We're going to have a baby in the family. And um, Aaron, this will be your first um, niece and yes. grandchild. So we are very excited about that. Very excited. So um, the reason I had Aaron on the show today is that he is a musician and he's an entrepreneur. So that's what I wanted to talk to him first about. From an early age, uh, music was part of your life, a huge part. So how did that start? Um, yes, music has always been a huge part of my life. My parents are involved in church ministry. So from an early age, I remember my initial exposure to music was the church uh, worship team or the church music ministry. Um, like you mentioned earlier, I am the youngest of four siblings. So I recall sitting in the church pews uh, during the worship team rehearsals. I wasn't part of the worship team then. Uh, my siblings were part of the music ministry. So I had nowhere to go, but to sit there and wait 
whole uh, rehearsal to be over. That was something that happened week after a week. There were no tablets when I was growing up. So there was nothing to do but to sit there and listen, just be exposed to, to that environment. But yeah, I can remember that was my initial exposure to music in, in the rehearsals and in church services that I would attend. Uh, eventually, I, I myself would, would start to um, go into learning the instruments. The first instrument that caught my attention was the drums or percussion. Um, now that it has come back full circle, all the students that I get to, to work with, especially the little young boys, um, they are very interested in drums. I don't know what is it about it. Banging and aggression. I guess that's what it is. I get very few uh, girl students that are young who are interested in all that noise. But I guess um, that was the first instrument that I, I started on the drum set. And that's that's where it began. Later on, when I entered middle school, public schooling in the orchestra programs, they offered, I joined the uh, middle school orchestra and I was able to remain in orchestra where I studied violin, mm -hmm. sixth grade, twelfth grade. And that's where I, uh, my violin study started. Eventually when I was around the ninth grade or 10th grade, my parents sent me to a music school in Raleigh, uh, which is about an hour and a half drive from Greensboro. Raleigh is the capital of the state. And I studied there for two years two years. It was a Saturday, kind of every Saturday for two years, you would go. And that's where I studied guitar for two years. Went back to school. I was in high school. I joined the jazz band in, in, in high school. I helped on the guitar in jazz band. I also joined the marching band in high school where I was part of the drum line. I played a snare drum on, on the marching band, the drum line. Moved on to college. I decided that music would be something that I would be interested in further pursuing higher education on and anywhere that any music student who goes on to college and study understanding and knowing how to play the piano is a requirement. So even though I have never um, studied piano before then took advantage of the opportunity to learn uh, the piano, which is where our music theory is explained and piano is the instrument with the most, repertory available to study. So I took advantage of studying piano. Then now I, I, I understand, have understanding of over several instruments, mainly string instruments is where I am most comfortable in. I haven't gotten an opportunity yet. I, was, I say yet because I'm sure it will come at some point in the future to study a wind instrument. So I don't know how to play wind instruments uh, yet. So that is how music started and how it has continued to grow in my life as time has, has gone on. Okay. So I'm, I have so many questions about that. <laughs> so you started on drums and then you were studying violin, which my understanding is that's a difficult instrument. Uh, not that all of them, any of them are easy, but were you still studying drum when you did violin and still studying violin when you did guitar? Well, violin, I stayed studying from sixth grade through 12th grade. Um, okay. so yes, there was at one point where they were overlapping. And yes, the violin is, is the most challenging instrument that 
I spend time on, I still don't feel like I can quite dominate it. But I mean, obviously my sound has improved over time, but it is quite a challenging instrument to, to master for intonation purposes. It is quite hard to, to get a good sound out of that instrument. Um, but that's the reason I like it uh, most, the challenge um, that it brings when, when you play that instrument. It's, and it makes a beautiful sound. Yes, it does. <laughs> so um, where did you go to college? I did community college for two years, um, I did a program to get my associates in fine arts. And then I did a transfer program to finish my four years at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. That is where I got my bachelor degree mm-hmm. in music and the second major in political science. Okay. So, so, so you had a double major and they're not even closely tied at all. <laughs> not a lot of, why political science? Political science. It it was, that's a good question. Why did I study political science? <laughs> there, there is this kind of side uh, desire to maybe one day considering a career in, in law. That was one of the reasons that I had been advised. Maybe political science is a yeah. good major, but as I've looked into applying to law school, any, any, any degree is fine. Just as long as there is a lot of reading involved and a lot of writing involved. So those majors are pretty good to, to get you going. So when you, um, when you were at the community college, you were, you were studying music. Uh, yes, I was getting my general eds out of the way and I was in, spent a lot of time in the music department. Which, okay. Yes. There was a lot of performing going on and a lot of music history learning. And, ah, I see. Yeah. Did you, um, did you do a recital and that kind of thing at Chapel Hill? Yes, there were, there were recitals. There were um, juries, juries. Yes. We did okay. have to perform um, in front of the teachers and, Yes. Did you have a final, like, big recital? I didn't have a big final recital. I did have jury duty, jury duty which is you get all the professors, professors in one room and yeah. play your, your pieces in front of them and you'll okay. get graded and you'll pass or not. <laughs> yeah. And, and in, so you were playing piano in the... Uh, I did study classical piano with a professor named Mimi Solomon at Carolina those two years that I was there. But I also studied jazz guitar. There. So I did have recitals for those two instruments. Um, oh, before part of the professors. Yes. Oh, wow. You're far more versatile than I even understood. Okay. <laughs> wow. Um, so you mentioned going to Raleigh and you had talked about this uh, in our discussions earlier, going to Raleigh every, every Saturday for, um, two years. And that was, uh, your parents took you. Yeah. So at that time I was about 14, 15, 16 yeah. years old. So I did have to be uh, chauffeured around. <laughs> um, most of the time it was my parents taking me at times my brother had to take me, but yes, it was, it was an every Saturday deal and it was nine to four. It was a whole day event. Oh, wow. That's, that's wild. Okay. Yes. Um, you know, you mentioned how when you were very young that you sat and just watched uh, the older siblings doing worship team and you didn't have a tablet. And I thought, oh, that's the secret. Don't give a kid a tablet. 
in their own little world instead of soaking in the reality of what's around them, you know? Yes, um, I do feel that today, but I always tell my students that the first step in learning music is listening to music. And when you are there in person, it's even even better to to receive all that sound and how it feels in person. But unfortunately, nowadays, kids um, are glued to their tablets. So even though something interesting may be going on around them, they may not catch it or be exposed to it. Um, you, you can you can be exposed to music online and and the recordings, but it's just not the same experience when, when you're in person and, and you're seeing actual people playing in front of you and, and you may even know the people and you can ask them questions and they might show you a thing or two if you get close to them. Yes. I want to say, ask this right. Where does your Mexican heritage come into your musical performance and study? Well, that's interesting because my music exposure has been different given my heritage. Um, most of the music that I perform is in Spanish. Most of the styles of music that I play are, are Spanish kind of playing in, in, in church playing that I, that I do being the music director is the music is very influenced in, in, in Spanish music. About a year and a half ago, I've been also leading or helping as the organist of a Methodist church, an American speaking church, an English speaking church. And I can say that the music is, in fact, very different. The style, the style of playing is very different. I remember the first couple months being very stressful, stressful because um, I didn't know their music. I didn't know the style. And the music uh, is very dependent on the organ. So we mm-hmm. had ready. And if I mess up, we're all messing up as opposed to... Um, the Spanish church where you have keyboard, a guitar player, a bass player. It's not all heavily dependent on one person, but as the group together. So yes. Yeah. That's fascinating. Is it an older congregation? Yes, it is an older congregation. And they're heavily their their work their music ministry is heavily based on hymnals and on organ playing music. So we're we're in Oregon. <laughs> I'm always up for the challenge. <laughs> I'm always up for the challenge. So at university where I was studying piano, I really did hunger down and, and try to learn it. And I'm glad that I did because piano is, there's a lot of opportunity in piano playing or keyboard playing. It's one thing to play the piano. It's one thing to play the keyboard. It's one thing to play the organ. They're all the same, but different. They're all played a little bit different. So that's why it was a stressful time to, to be helping in the organ. It was not an instrument that I had spent time on, but it, it, it's played similar to any keyboard instrument. You just got to get adjusted to some things that the, the organ is, is just different. It's just a little bit different. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, this is a podcast about create, creativity and creative people. And obviously you're, you have expanded your creativity by learning these different instruments and uh, do you ever write music? Um, not yet, but I do see myself in the near future starting to to write to write songs. Yes. Do you ever do uh, adaptations or arrangements? Yes. Yeah. 
Do I do arrangements of songs? Yes, I do have to do arrangements of songs. Some songs that we're trying to play may not be fit for the instruments that we have at the worship team. So we have to narrow it down to what we got to work with and still make it sound good and pleasing to hear. So yes, I do do a lot of arrangement. I do do a lot of transposing. Yes, where you listen to the song and, and try to get as much information just by listening to, to the song. But yes, I do, I do do a lot of, don't do a lot of writing of my own music yet, but I do do a lot of transposing arrangements to songs that have already been written, which yes, within time, it, it will come to be a, yeah. You hear a song from Aaron coming out pretty soon. Hey, well, I can't wait. Do you think it would be, um, would you write both the music and the, the lyrics or? Yes, it would, I'm sure I will get some help from other people, but it, it would be both. It would be lyrics and music. And they would be in Spanish. Spanish and English. <laughs> there you go. Okay. So you get English. Um, well, as as with most people, your English is impeccable. Of course, you couldn't have gotten through college if, if it wasn't. So, um, the um, so in that creative uh, realm, then you are an entrepreneur, and that you started a music school, and this is fascinating. So, how did that get started? What was your inspiration, your, your impetus in doing that? Well, at the beginning, when it started, I would be lying to you if I said I'm setting out to build a music school. At the beginning, um, I was just a, a junior in college trying to make ends meet as a college student. Yeah. So I decided just to, to give private lessons one-on-one -on, -one on Saturdays, right? Spend a couple hours teaching and um, just get enough to get by uh, the week. So that's how it started initially. Um, it was four or five students on Saturdays that I would teach. And then I would continue my week in, in studying, which helped a lot in, in the sense that in one day I can get enough to get by as a college student through the week, <laughs> through the week. <laughs> but yes, that's how it started. I, I didn't graduate it. I had to make a decision as to what am I going to do with this? Do I want to stop it? Do I want to focus on something else? Or do I want to push it and, and grow it? Um, so I'd, I decided it wouldn't help if I just continue to push it and, and, and grow. I was still on my own back when I started. I first started teaching on Saturdays only. And eventually it started Friday and Saturday that I was teaching. And then it kept expanding to Friday, Saturday, Monday. And soon after the whole week was spilled and, and, and booked. So at one point... It was too much for just one person to do. So I asked for help from some musician friends who would like to teach. And right now we are teaching about 200 students here in the Greensboro, Winston-Salem area. Uh, we're about five teachers. And right now there is more demand than we can meet. So we have people waiting for a room or if people reach out to the school. We don't, we're unable to push or incentivize because we don't have enough uh, space at this time. So it's, it's, a, it's a good challenge to have right now. It could be dealing with, but um, we're trying to figure out how can we help meet the demand of people interested in, in the lessons at our school. We teach here in Greensboro and there's a town next door about 30 minutes, 30, 40 minutes away called Winston-Salem. Winston -Salem. 
then we're also working in establishing presence in that town so that it can also grow as it's grown here in, in Greensboro. Wow. So this is, I mean, this is super full-time job. Um, yes. About how many lessons do you teach a week? About how many lessons? I, I think about 40 to 50 lessons a right. week. Some of them are in group. Some of them are individual. Mm-hmm. But yes, at one point, this, this actually recently became a full-time job last I think it was August of 2022, so last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, before then, I was working at a firm and teaching in the evenings a couple hours, but it came to the point that I couldn't be at both places anymore. So I kind of took the the leap of faith that I was going to be on my own and live off of what the school would bring in. And it's been going well and it's, it's been growing. So it was a, a smooth step off of the corporate world into the uh, entrepreneurial world. <laughs> it was just, I didn't. So you're you're the CEO. Who <laughs> <laughs> is? Uh, yes, I am. You could call it a CEO right now, but say ask your question again. And the name of the school is. Uh, right now, we're still working on that. We're still working on a name. Um, right now, the school is mainly servicing the Spanish-speaking community here at Greensboro. Went to Salem High Point area, but I do anticipate once we're able to meet the staff, the staff shortages that we're dealing with to open up the school more openly, even though we do have English speakers and most of the Spanish students speak English to be able to feel comfortable in opening the marketing to the English speaking community. And by then we hope to have a name that works, that is catchy enough to attract both Spanish and English speaking community. I mean, even though I speak Spanish, I've received all my schooling here in the United States. So it, it, it won't be much of a challenge to teach English speaking students. It's just we don't have enough space right now to take on. Yes. Yeah. The space is a big, a big deal. You're meeting at a church. Yes. The space of the classrooms and the number of teachers that we currently have in the program is just wouldn't be enough to made large campaigns open to the wide public. So right now we're just kind of narrowed in any specific demographic, but once the school gets a, a name, we will start doing that. Oh, wow. So, so, but you have to spend a lot of time every week just in the administrative stuff, don't you? Yes. So my mornings are spent in the administrative portion of the school. I teach usually the school starts getting busy after well, the kids get out of school. Um, but there are some adults that take lessons that can come in the morning time. But usually my mornings are spent in the administrative and keeping track of students' attendance, keeping track of teachers, their curriculum, working a curriculum, follow up with new potential students who are interested in joining and planning recitals, adjusting teacher schedules. So most of my mornings, as the school grows, it is becoming more and more challenging to to handle that. And so right now I'm kind of in between if I should reduce my teaching hours to focus more on the administrative part or uh, have somebody else deal with the administrative part so that I can focus on teaching. Yes. Yeah, that's always the, the question. <laughs> you know, you, you really love the teaching, but the other has to get done. Yes. 
Listeners, I love doing this podcast. I hope deeply that you also enjoy listening. As we bring this content free of charge, I have some requests that will help it continue. We have exceeded 2,000 listens for the 24 Yes and 30 episodes. That doesn't include the YouTube listens. And none of it would have happened without Clemencia Villafuerte, our producer. I have to say that. I depend on her a great deal. In some ways, that number's great because I don't do much advertising or promotion. I depend on listeners to repost on social media and for the guests to post the links on their websites. On the other hand, it's really pretty low as the podcast world goes. Really, really low. So I can't monetize it, at least not yet. That's good and bad. You all don't have to listen to random commercials about the who knows what. Yay! And I don't have any financial help. Boo. So here are the asks as the trendy people say now. I'm not sure what was wrong with the word requests, but number one, keep telling folks about this podcast. Even if it's just one that you particularly cared for, tell them about that one and they might get interested in the others. Of course, keep listening. Third, and here's the commercial part. Buy my books to offset the costs of the podcast. I don't talk about them much because I'm really terrible at marketing. I have several novels available on Amazon. You can look them up under Barbara G. Tucker or Barbara Graham Tucker, as in Graham Cracker, rolling my eyes. Or you can ask me for signed copies. The most recent, Sudden Future, by Colorful Crow Publishing, would make a great Christmas gift for a reader of any age. I will have another coming out before Christmas, Long Lost Justice. Others are Bringing Abundance Back, which I call the Southern Chicklet Book, Long Lost Family, a not-so-cozy mystery, Long Lost Promise, even less cozy. I haven't figured out how murders can be cozy. And The Unexpected Christmas Visitors, a story about refugees. All are on Kindle, too. Also, I have short Bible studies. I'm not at the GoFundMe point yet. Finally, buy the books of the folks I've interviewed here, or will. Luke Manjay of Ginseng Diggers, Becky Woolley, Ray Atkins, Kami Ballantyne, Devereaux Shivington Stebbins, Susan Kirkland, Renee Winchester, Carly Land, David Cady, Millicent Flake, Noah Knox Marshall, and Amber Nagel. You are a person interested in the artistic community of Chattanooga, Northwest Georgia, and beyond. Help them out. Thank you for listening to this commercial. What um, instruments are offered? And do you offer voice as well? Uh, yes, we do offer uh, voice lessons. Um, we offer violin, cello lessons, piano, which is the most in demand, uh, guitar lessons, ukulele lessons, uh, <laughs> bass lessons. Ukulele is what we recommend to the little kids, the little ones. Really? Uh, yes. Yeah. A funny story, uh, when I was in 
in school in Raleigh. Uh, this is where I studied guitar. I remember um, the piano students advancing quite fast, and I thought maybe they were much more brighter than us guitar students. But it turns out the piano is a little bit more easier to to um, to start. Right, guitar you do have to develop the technique, and it's kind of a weird instrument to hold to look at your fingers on your left hand yeah. to pull the correct string out of six strings mm-hmm. can be um, quite challenging. So. Yes, but piano is the most solicited instrument. And we started little kids on ukulele because it's a smaller instrument. And you are still developing the technique of your right hand plucking and squeezing strings. And the ukulele is much smaller. Bass, we also teach the bass lessons. What else do we teach? People who reach out to the school or the two instruments that people reached out a lot that we may have not had is saxophone. Uh We're all interested in saxophone learning and accordion. I'm learning accordion right now because uh, I'm going to be uh, teaching accordion pretty soon. Once I, I finish learning it, just need to spend. That I mean, so fun, but accordion. <laughs> think of accordion is this old, old years ago kind of thing. Yeah, well, in Latin America or northern Mexico, the accordion is is quite popular in a wow. kind of style of music. So that's why it is kind of in high demand. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I like to learn new things. So the accordion, I like, it's challenging me to think and view music a little bit different. Mm-hmm. The coordination that it requires is a bit different than other instruments. So it is, it is it's been quite fun to learn it and spend time on it. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's fascinating. Um, so, so your vision is to move uh, to also have a school in, in Winston-Salem. And to um, open up to more um, English-speaking clientele. Yes. The goal is to continue to grow, to establish teachers that can move the school forward and not have me on top of it, right? Because mm-hmm. we do want to continue to grow. Um, we have the Greensboro, the Greensboro campus. We have the Winston-Salem campus. Mm-hmm. And um, once these two campuses are well-established, I can move on to uh, another another city that could benefit from this school. Mm-hmm. So the goal is to continue to grow and hopefully be able to have multiple campuses across the state of North Carolina. And yes, hopefully people can benefit from from the school that that I work in. When you're working with the children, do you? I mean, I know this is a big a big argument now that. In so many places, public schools are not giving the attention to musical and foreign arts education like they should. Do you see this? Do you, I mean, is that something you see and is the parents are trying to bridge that gap or is it the children who want to do it or how, how are you seeing that? At, at first, it's the parents who come who want to expose their kids to the musical world. As the student gets more involved and starts to learn, they, they begin to enjoy it a lot more. And they're the ones who, who want to come into their class. I, I do see myself in the future um, teaching in public school. I am the product of public education. So I do see myself going into um, the public schools in, some, in, in, in the future. So I'm not quite aware of what the curriculum at public schools is um, or the goals of exposing students to music, music education. I don't remember even my elementary school 
music exposure. I don't remember it. I do remember going to the classroom. I don't remember what I learned in the music classroom. But yes. Well, it's going back to like what you said about the you know, the tablets that I just fear that children are so screen oriented that they're not given the opportunity to, to exist in this other, you know, this world where they can learn whether it's to draw or to do to learn an instrument or to be in choir or to uh, be in theater or, you know, whatever. Um, I just. It's like they're just stuck in front of a screen um, without these other opportunities that would be so much more enriching than being in front of a screen. Yes. I, I mean, I, I, some parents do share that with me mm-hmm. um, when they reach out to the schools. They're like, my kid is at home on the tablet all day and I want, I need them to get involved in something. Right. So I do hear that a lot from the parents. So the, 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 the way that we bring them into the music is has to be kind of oriented to that student that they may not be interested at the beginning. This is something that the parents are kind of bringing them to do, but we try to make the classroom, the class fun and interested for them and hopefully have, have, have a retain and, and enjoy what they're learning. Mm. But yeah. So you don't have an instrument there, do you? No, I don't have an instrument in here. I, I said, I'll get you to play something. <laughs> Thing. I'm kidding. Um, well, anything else you'd like to say, Aaron, that we haven't talked about? That we haven't talked about? It would be um, to young people in the news. You hear everything is bad for millennials and this and that. But it's not all all that bad. Right. Not all. I thank God for this opportunity he has given me to uh, work in this school and it's been a, a great blessing and I enjoy teaching and spending time with the students and being able to be a part of influencing the next generation of musicians. So to that will be my message to people who at my age or younger than me who are maybe finishing colleges, finishing colleges and are about to start their careers. It may seem a bit gloomy at first, but it's not all it's not all hope loss. You know, there is a lot of opportunity out there. There is a lot that you can do for your community and making the community that you are a better place through what, through what you do. And in my case is the sharing of, of, of music, but other people have other talents. Other people have other gifts and they can use them to, to better their community. I'm sure that will bring great satisfaction to their life and hopefully they can Establish a career in, in that. It's something that they enjoy. Something that they enjoy. But yes. That's great. Thank you. You're so glad we were able to work this out. And and I know you're really busy and you have lessons all day. And I've, I've been excited about having you on uh, our podcast. And um, so I will close it there. We've been talking to Aaron Mortera. Uh, who is in my family. <laughs> he is my son's brother-in-law. Yes. And, um, what is the Spanish word? Is it suegro? Or is that mother-in-law? <laughs> I uh, put him on the spot here, but I think it's, I think it's yerno. I think. Yerno. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I looked it up one time. <laughs> but um, so, uh, and he is from uh, Greensboro, North Carolina. 
and he has um, a great career in music and he has uh, opened a music school there and he's um, hoping to get into composing as well. Thank you again, Aaron. Thank you. 